hopefully it gets us prepared. All of what we do in the morning is uh, something that we do to not only honor God and worship God, but it also is there to prepare us for his word and a reading of his word and the study of his word. So I hope that that's what's happening for you today. We're going to Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning. Last last week we did something uh, that I haven't uh, done too often, if, if ever. We read through the entire chapter of 3 and talked about why are all those names Im- are important. And basically it was important for us to read uh, those names to make sure that we associate normal human beings with the work of God in the time of Nehemiah and the task of Nehemiah that was put on his heart. And I kind of, I got to thinking about that after I went home last Sunday, and I kind of wish that I had thought about this beforehand so I could share it with you, but I'll share it with you now. It's, it's kind of like the same when, we, you know, our war, our war memorials that have uh, those who have given their life for our freedom and their names are on these walls. And if you go to one of those places and actually read their names, it becomes more real for you. Right? And that was kind of the idea last week to see that it wasn't just Nehemiah and some random people or some no-name people. It was some people of God who loved God being used by God to do God's work and uh, successfully, by the way, and all of that. Let's go into chapter 4 today, and I want to talk about the details of how all of that came about. Because now in chapter 4, it's kind of a... Okay, in chapter 3, it's like, okay, all of this happened, and, it, and the wall was rebuilt. And then chapter 4, is like, here's what happened while the wall was being rebuilt. First off, before we get into that, I just want to make sure that you're aware. I'm going to remind you, because I'm pretty confident that you're aware that anytime a person is willing and, and actually doing the work of God, there's opposition. We all know that. I hope we know that. If you don't know that... Um, you're either one, not really working for the Lord, or two, you're just a little naive about it. But we all know that there's an enemy. We all know that Satan exists. We all know that he uh, has a way of using people to do his work, to come against what God is doing, to disrupt what God is doing, to destroy what God is trying to do. We all know that he will not be successful, right? Okay, so some of y'all are visitors here, and we welcome you guys, and we love y'all, but I do some dramatic pauses every now and then, and the ones that are here regular know what those are for. I have a dramatic pause engineered into the sermon so you have a chance to say amen, (laughs) right? So just know that that's their signal right there. So we know that God is not going to allow Satan to win. All right, we're good. We're on the same page now. (laughs) Let me tell you what opposition is not before I start reading into chapter 4. We're going to read at least the first nine verses to start with. Opposition is not criticism. Criticism is actually healthy most of the time. It's called constructive criticism. When y'all come to me and say, uh, I'm not sure about that sermon, you could have said it this way or that way, it doesn't, bother, it doesn't offend me, right? Because I need to be held accountable and it makes me better. Because I need to know how to communicate with you all so that you can receive what God wants for you. Make sense? So I'm not opposed to criticism. However, how that is conveyed is important. Just keep that in your mind. The, The opinions of others or ideas of others are not opposition. Everyone has an opinion and everyone has ideas and different thoughts. And 
all of the believers are supposed to have the same spirit living in them, communicating with them about the work of the Lord. And how are we to know which way to go if we don't collectively come together and seek the Lord's will together? Make sense? So it's not an opposition to God's will for someone to have a different idea or opinion than you, as long as we together seek the Lord to work it out. Everybody's happy with that. I'm good with that too. And so on. There's all kinds of things that cause people to have uh, maybe some disagreements or not be on the same page. And it's not always totally wrong to be on different pages as long as we're striving to be on God's page. Hello? Here's what opposition is. There are people, Satan is uh, uh, orchestrating all of this, but there are people in this world that all they want to do is tear you down and whatever you got going for God, they want to put it to an end. Their whole existence, unless they get saved, right? Every, Jesus died for everybody. So just because somebody's standing in opposition to God's will doesn't mean that Jesus didn't die for them. It just means that they are not working for God. In fact, that they're working against God. Sometimes people work against God even if they don't know they're working against God. We all know that because we saw Peter do that thing. Remember that? It's the, it's the most famous time that Peter spoke without thinking. Out of his love for Christ, he's like, no one is going to touch a hair on your head, Jesus, unless they go through me. That's not really how he said it, but that's what he meant. Right? And what, is, what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Now, you want to talk about getting your feelings hurt. Oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine being in the presence of Jesus in the flesh and being so passionately in love with him and sold out to him that I'm willing to fight to the death for him to protect him because he's my Lord. And that same person looks at me and says, get behind me, not only settle down, but Satan. Oh my gosh. Why would he say such a thing? Because Peter didn't realize that the will of God was for Jesus to go to the cross. There's no way really for him to have realized that, aside from the fact that Jesus told him. But there's no way for him to understand that completely to where uh, he would uh, fall in line with the will of God for Jesus to be on the cross so that all of us can be saved. He thought he was doing right, but he was actually working against God's will. But then there's other people in the world, even today, that they just don't want other people to be successful. Their business is succeeding. They want it to fail. They'll do everything to discourage that person. The people in the church are doing great things for the Lord, and the, and the church is growing. There's always somebody that's going to come along and try to destroy it because either they're jealous, they're bitter, they're in sin, they don't love the Lord, they're really not saved, they're just sold out to destroying everything. And it's hard for us to sit back and believe that there's people that like that, they exist in the world because we love to think that everybody's a nice person. The reality is, is not everybody loves God, and therefore some people are against God. Make sense? So when I'm talking about opposition, when we're reading about opposition, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about people who are actively against what God is trying to do because they don't want God's will to succeed. Now let's read Nehemiah chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Verse 3, 
first three verses, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, when Sanballat heard uh, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are, the, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from, the, from, the, from those heaps of rubble burned as, they, uh, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, uh, what, the, what they are building, even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down the, uh, their wall of stones. Let's go into verse 4. Hear us, o, uh, hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And then uh, verse 6 says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of, the, all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Verse 7 goes on to say this, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the, uh, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the men of Ashad, uh, Ashdod heard that the, the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I want to talk about three things. If we're going to be successful servants, successful workers for the kingdom of God, because that's what we're called to do. We've already established all of that. We're using Nehemiah's work on his task as some examples of how we can be successful. So here's three things. The first thing we can say, we have to have a mind to work. We have to set our mind to the task. We have to do what God's called us to do, what Jesus died for us to do. Notice in the first three verses, you have uh, these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. Remember them from chapters 2 and 3, right? He's, Nehemiah shows up and says, hey, this is a disgrace to God. We've got to get this built. We've got to put this back together. Remember that? And these two guys were saying, who are y'all? Who are y'all to do this work? And then Nehemiah's response was, look, if you don't want to be a part of what God's wanting to do, then you don't get to be a part of the blessing of it. You don't get any part of it if you're not going to be with us. Saying that with the, all of the authority of God. So look at, look at what they're saying now. These guys, you've got to read this. You've got to try to read what's, what's happening in the way that it really happened. Because you know people who are trying to destroy other people, trying to disrupt other people's lives, they do it in a, uh, today's, today's world would call it a bullying type way. They're making fun of them. They're making light of it. It's a big joke. And it says that Sam Ballot, he was standing there with all his friends, right? He was standing there with uh, Tobias, uh, Tobias and, and, and the Ammonites and, and all the rest of the people all outside the walls. And he just makes sure that everybody can hear what he's saying. To ridicule the Jewish people that are working on the wall. Have you ever tried to do something that seemed impossible? Not just for the Lord, but anything. And all your friends are like, dude, really? You're going to try to do that? 500 other people have tried to do that, and you're, you think you're going to be the one to do it. 
And it's always one person after another that's negative, 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 trying to make you quit because they don't have the guts to do what you're trying to do. They don't have a mind set on the work, so they know they're going to fail, so they want you to fail. Because in their minds and in their hearts, they think that if you succeed, they will look bad. And that's where these guys are. Plus, it interferes with all the things they got going in the world. So he's like, hey, who are these feeble Jews? He's saying it loud enough for them to hear. He's like, hey, who are these, who are these little people that think they're going to rebuild what's been destroyed? It's been sitting there for this long. What makes them think they're going to be able to do this? And they, think, and they were like working so hard. At, they were working like they were going to get the job done in one day. That's why he's saying things. What I can't handle on a personal level is the Tobias of the world. Because they don't even have the guts to stand up by themselves and make fun of people and tear people down. They got to stand like the little guy behind the big guy saying, yeah, what he said. Right? And he's saying, he's like, look, even if they, he's like bouncing off of his criticism or demoralization, however which way you want to say it. He's saying, he's bouncing off, even if they do succeed, a fox would get up there and we would all fall down. Now, some people don't know how to build stuff. That's okay, because not everybody needs to. Like some people would build a house and it, it wouldn't be safe to live in because we don't know how to, you know, drive nails and you do the best you can, but you can't make it work because that's not your skill. The, these people didn't know how, remember, they don't know how to build either. There was a few people that could lead and help them learn how to rebuild wa rock walls and, and big wooden doors and, and gates and, and make everything right so it would be a wall worth hiding under or behind. Make sense? So, so the attackers, the, uh, the, the opposition is saying, even if you're able to do what you're trying to do, you feeble ones, it wouldn't stand because fox, when a fox, a fox is like sure-footed and light-footed. That's why he's saying that. In other words, he was saying a gnat could land on that wall and it would just crumble. Right? Just criticizing it before it ever happens. Keep it in mind because you'll recognize that if you think, if you, if you kind of think about the way these people are acting and, and the way opposition comes, you'll start recognizing it right when it happens. Maybe even anticipate the, the individuals in your life that have nothing to do but tear you down and the work that you're doing for your family, for yourself, for the Lord. Those who don't believe that God is real or those who are threatening, threatened by God's existence will do everything in their power to tear down the believer. Because if we're successful in what Jesus called us to do, it means that they are wrong and they can't deal with that. Make sense? I know that for a fact because I was one of those. I don't know that I was tearing down others for believing in God, but I wasn't interested in what God was doing for a long time. Here's what we can learn. Verse 6. This is it right here. He says, so we built the wall. I don't know how many times I have gone to other believers or other believers have come to me and we've had a little complaint session about those who are trying to tear us down as believers or the world that comes against us as believers. The question is, are we going to build the wall anyway? Are we going to make disciples anyway? 
The only one that's going to stop you from working for God is you. Do you have a mind to work? Do you have your mind set on doing what God has called you to do? Are you committed to Jesus in that way? Are you accepting the fact that this is what he died for? Not just so that you can be in the presence of God, but so that you can participate in the greatest thing ever, making disciples. Isn't that great? Don't you feel privileged to handle the gospel in that way? And at the same time, totally crippled in humility? Like, who am I to deal with that? Who am I to handle that? And uh, the answer to that is outside of Christ, I'm nobody to handle the gospel. It's only through the Spirit of God and His power and strength and wisdom in me that I can even share the gospel with any other person, let alone realize it my own self. But once we have this realization and we accept Him as Lord and Savior and the Spirit of God comes in us, we have every authority in the world to do the work of Christ. In fact, we would be sinning if we didn't. I guess you refuse that pause. It's a hard one to swallow, wasn't it? It's hard to swallow. It's hard to say amen when consequences are real sometimes, you know. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll sit down there with you. Listen to this prayer before we move on. Because we're going to move on into this heart of prayer kind of situation. First off, you know the enemy wants you to stop working. He doesn't want you to tell anybody about Jesus. He doesn't want you to tell anybody they can be saved. He doesn't even want you to tell anybody about their sinful state. Because he's the one that got them there. He's the one that convinced them to live in a sinful way. And he's kind of proud of it, Satan I'm talking about. And he don't want you messing up what he's got going. Because he knows the power of Christ. He knows the power of the gospel. He knows the power of the blood of Christ. He also knows the power of our commitment to it. And he knows we have the authority to do it. Y'all see we can't lose, right? Y'all see we can be successful at working for the kingdom of God if we just set our mind to it. Me, me and my son butted heads so much because he's as bullheaded as I am. And when he set his mind to something, there wasn't no change in that. And it was great when his mind was set on the right things. But every now and then, he would get his mind set on something that I knew as an adult, and I knew from experience, and I knew from uh, being his father, and I knew from just living in this world as a human being that that was not going to end good. And the hardest thing for a, a, a parent to do is let your children learn the hard way. Because you don't want them to suffer. You don't want them to have those kind of consequences. But when your mind is set on something, it's pretty much there, isn't it? This is why I tell people, you know, that argue with me about attending church regularly and being a part of what the church is doing in the kingdom of God. I just say to them, everybody does what they want to do. Everybody will always do what they want to do. If you want to do it bad enough, you'll find a way to make it happen. And that's, that's not just church attendance. That's serving the Lord. That's making disciples. That's getting with the Lord in prayer. That's reading your Bible. That's submitting to God. That's repenting of sin. That's allowing the blood of Christ to cover your sin. Everything. If you really want to be in the presence of God for eternity, then you'll do it. You'll make it happen. No one is going to leave this world without knowing how to make that happen. Not possible. Now let's go to verse, uh, 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 verse uh, 10 to 12 really quick. And then we'll talk about this. We'll talk about this 
mind for prayer. Because we have a mind to work, we also have to have a mind for prayer. So verse 10 says this, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Verse 12, Then the Jews who lived near uh, them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. You notice uh, verse 4. Nehemiah's immediate response to the ridicule and the demoralizing comments. Here's what he says. Hear us, O O our God, for we are despised. That one statement his first response is to go talk to God about the problem. And I instantly think about Jesus in the middle of the night with his his hands tied together. Already, the beatings have already begun. He's standing in an illegal trial being accused. And he never defends himself verbally. They say all kinds of nasty things about him. They, they, they attack who he really is. They ridicule him. They insult him. They smack him in the face. In fact, they're too proud to smack him himself. They get other people to do it because they're, they're the higher-ups in the world. Isn't that sad? They had to pay people to draw a crowd in the evening. And it just went on and on until he willingly says, it is finished. This is where the people were. When you and I are persecuted because we believe that Jesus is the Christ, and not only believe it, but actually go do something with it, and go do the work, and go out and tell the world, and love people the way God would want us to love people for the sake of their own souls, we'll be ridiculed, we'll be persecuted, we'll be attacked, we'll be hated. And the best thing for us to do is realize that people hate us because they hate Jesus. That's how I, that's how I can work through it and not take it personal. I, I really struggle when I have friction between me and another person especially another believer. It tears me up. But when someone is hating me because I know they hate Jesus, that tears me up even more because I know they don't know the Lord. I know that they're lost. And all they have to do is realize. So he says, look, we're despised. God, help us. He says, "Turn their, verse 4, turn their insults back into their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt. Blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, don't answer this out loud. It's between you and the Lord. Have you ever wanted to retaliate when someone treated you wrongly? (laughs) I'm there. We're all there, aren't we? It would just be nice if we could just retaliate so we would feel better. But Nehemiah is like all about the Lord's business, right? 
He's like, I'm here to build this wall. I'm here to do this job. I left, I left a good paying job to come over here and do this because I love the Lord and I'm brokenhearted over his people and their suffering. So who are these two guys? Me names, sticks and stones. <laughs> I love the Lord and the Lord loves me and I'm about the Lord's business. Okay, so what? But, he, but he, here's what he does. He goes to God and he's like, get him, Lord, get him. Handle it. He didn't say, uh, show them who you are so they'll be saved, which is a good prayer to say, by the way. But he didn't say that. He was like, Lord, these people are coming against you. And they're trying to destroy the people who are working for you, which makes them your enemy. And I know that you will handle that. The Bible is all about you can either be with God or without God. You're either in the family or you're an enemy of the family. That's what sin is. The beauty of the gospel is it's your choice. God will not force himself on you and he will not force you to be with him. So if you choose to be an enemy of God, there are consequences for that. Woe to the one who chooses to be an enemy. And that's why, and it's not wrong to pray this prayer, y'all. It's not wrong. As long as we're not hating people, because that's opposite of our job, our, our calling, right? We're called to love people so they'll meet Jesus, so they'll meet God and know the truth and respond to it. But at the same time, it's like, look, God, if your enemies are in the way of what you called me to do, so I'm going to let you handle it. I'm going over here and build this wall. That's what verse 6 is about. He just said to God, hey, handle this. And then he went back to work. How hard is that to do, y'all? I'll tell you how hard it is. It's almost impossible if we don't have the Lord in our heart. Because <laughs> when I get mad at somebody, it's hard to get over that. I'm just like y'all. I hope. hope I'm not by myself in that. There's times when it takes a while to get past what somebody has done to you. we need the Lord to intervene so that we can stay about the Lord's business. Satan always wants you to get off of the Lord's business and get paying attention to whatever he wants you to do. And if he's successful, you will become the opposition and not even, you won't even know it. And then some, if it goes on long enough, you'll start embracing that position and then you'll start loving that position. Make sense? So if we don't have a heart to pray when we get demoralized or discouraged or persecuted or attacked, we'll never have the mind to work. Because being discouraged, all that is, is you've been, you, first you had the mind to do the work. We, had, we were all about making disciples when we first got saved. I got to tell everybody. And then suddenly, 15 years later, it's like, eh, I go to church. I got my salvation, so good enough. That's where a lot of people live, by the way, in their heart, in their relationship with Jesus. That's where they live. It's like, I got, I got mine. I don't think that's why Jesus died, y'all. And how dare we hold that to ourselves? As if we're the only ones that Jesus died for. And the ship is going down, and we have opportunity to help as many as we can. That's the, that's the truth. But I don't know about you, but I need the Lord to help me every day. 
because sometimes the ones that are hard to get along with are the ones that Jesus wants you to love. And you might be that person to move them just into a certain way that they start realizing that Jesus is worth living for. Does that make sense what I'm saying, y'all? So prayer is the key to having a mind to work. We have to have a heart for prayer. We have to have a heart to talk to God. about. We're about making disciples. How are we to go about the Lord's work if we don't ever report in? We don't ever ask him what's next. That's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Chapter 6 of Matthew, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's just an example of how to talk to God. It's all about leaving everything in God's hands so you can go do the work of the, of the Lord. It's like, hey, I'm trying to make disciples here, Lord. I'm trying to love these people, but these people over here are getting in my way. They're, they're taking my attention. They're making me mad. They're hurting my feelings. They're discouraging me. Not to mention... My loved ones over here got some sicknesses that I'm worried about. If I could just leave these here at your feet, would you take those so that I could go off and do what you called me to do and be successful and put my mind to the work? That's what it's all about. That's what Nehemiah's doing. That's why he says this prayer in verse 4 and 5, and then in verse 6 it says, so we just rebuilt the wall like it was no big deal. It's almost like the milk was sitting on the counter and he's like, I'll just put it in the fridge. It, was, it seems like it was that simple the way it was said. But it wasn't. But he was just saying, look, it's a matter of fact that we're going to build this wall, whether you like it or not. It's a matter of fact that we're going to make disciples, whether the world likes it or not. It's a matter of fact. Is it a matter of fact in your life? Is it a matter of fact in your heart? I know you want it to be a matter of fact, but is it a matter of fact that you're going to be making disciples in this world somehow, some way? And you're going to be weary and tired from doing the work. If we lay our heads on our pillows every night, tired from making disciples and talking to God about it, we're successful. You should be tired physically from making disciples. If you don't have a heart to pray, then you will never have a heart to work. Let's look at verse 13 and 14 really quickly, skipping around a little bit. Oh, I put that up there late. Look what it says. Therefore... So what's happened is uh, the, the Jews overheard the plan that they were going to come in and attack them and kill them all because they couldn't stop them by ridiculing them. So now they're going to punch them in the face and kill them. And they heard this, so they came and told them. They kept telling them, like, look, wherever you go, they're going to try to stop you. They're going to kill you. So he says in verse 13, Therefore, I stationed some people, some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows, Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said, nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, look, look, listen to this, y'all. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Way too many people don't ever get to this point. Way too many believers, people who genuinely love the Lord and are working hard, trying to serve the Lord, they never get to this point. They set their mind to the work. They even have their heart for prayer. Always talking to God. Always asking God's intervention. Always asking for the Lord to get involved. Always asking for direction. But they never do anything about it. Sometimes the Lord is leading us and we just keep asking him and keep asking him. And he's like, um, 
kind of trying to tell you what to do, but you're not doing it. In verse 4, he's saying, Lord, deal with this. Handle your enemies. Help us do this work and handle your enemies. So Nehemiah, what does he do? He finds out that the enemies are getting more intense and there's more of them. So he, instead of quitting the work, he says, okay, let's take a different approach because we've got to get this done. So he stands people around to guard the ones who are working. The soft places that they haven't built up yet. They're working on them. Here's why, here's why I believe sometimes the body of Christ or believers around the different churches might fall short in this area. It's because it's easy to fall into this trap where I'm a believer, I'm a church member, I'm not one of the leaders, I'm not the preacher. That's their job to protect the church. And it is their job. It's, it's, it's the preacher, the elders, and all the leaders in the church. It's their responsibility to, to, to lead and protect the church. But you as a believer, you as a child of God, have every responsibility in the world to protect the one sitting next to you, the one living in your home from Satan, the one standing up here talking to you right now needs protection too. Make sense? And we know that God is the one who will do the protecting, right? We know that God is the one who will defeat the enemy, already has defeated the enemy. We know that all of the opposition that comes against us will be dealt with. But that doesn't mean he won't use one of us or all of us to deal with it. Hello? Sometimes we have to stand in the face of opposition and say, no more, it's not happening here. Move along. Either pick up a pick up a, a trial. Is that what it's called? A trial. Pick up a trial and start slinging some mud on these bricks, or move on down the road because we're working for the Lord. You don't know how many preachers want to say that to some church folks who are just disrupting everything the church is trying to do. And I don't think it's wrong to say that. You're either about the Lord's business or you need to move on. I love you, the Lord loves you, but if that's not what you're about, then you can't be with us. There's people right now on, online that are going, oh, I can't believe the preacher just said that. There might be somebody sitting in here saying that. What I mean is, I want you to get with the Lord. I want you to do what we're doing, because it's the greatest thing going. And it will literally save your life. But I'm not going to force the church on you just like God doesn't force himself on you but if you're not about the Lord's business then maybe we'll meet again and you'll change your mind but we're moving Jesus did that all the time the rich man came to him and was like hey I've done everything I know how to do can I follow you now and he said go get rid of all your stuff and then you can follow me he didn't stand around and wait and see if he was going to do that did he Jesus just moved right on along with what he was doing he's like here's what you need to do here's what I want you to do you're welcome to do it you're welcome not to do it uh, let me know what you think. We'll be down here. And he moved on. And he's doing more ministry. He just kept right on. He didn't, he didn't piddle around with all the Pharisees. and have, he, he would have conversations with them, and he would try to put the truth in front of them. But then he moved on because he was on mission. He was on a journey to the cross. Now, let me say something. Those of us who are saved, we can have hope that we're going to be in, in eternity with our Lord. Life everlasting. Isn't that great? Death will not, will not conquer us. 
There's no more fear of that in our lives. If there's not something for us to do, then we would just be saved and then go be with the Lord right then. Why are we still here? And if we're not about his business while we're still here, then what are we about? And it really comes down to this. If you're you're saved, if you're genuinely saved, and you're not about the Lord's business, then we need to talk and you need to get with the Lord about your salvation. And I'm, I'm not saying that everybody who's not involved isn't saved. I'm saying that when we realize what we're saved from and what it took to be saved, how can we not seek to work for the Lord? It goes back to Nehemiah learning about Jerusalem being destroyed and all the people suffering, and he was brokenhearted. He was tore down. It was almost to the point where he couldn't live anymore with the stress load of the heartbreaking issues over there. And the Lord put it on his heart to go do something about it. And if you're, if you're genuinely saved and you've received salvation, the way the gospel tells us to receive it, I feel like it's not possible for us to live without being broken about those who are lost. Because we realize what we were saved from. So in verse 9, we see that the third thing is that we have this heart to watch, right? Don't just tell God about it. God wants us to be a tattletale, by the way. He wants us to tell on Satan every time. Run to him and it's like, hey, Satan's over here doing this again. And then leave it there. But be on guard. Watch. As it says, as he talked about in verse 9, he says that we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. If you read through the end of the chapter, it says, look, they stayed up all night. They didn't even change their clothes. They stayed up all night. What makes a person stand up and defend the work that intensely? What do you think makes a person stand up? I mean, think about your homes and your family that you've built. I'm about to be done, y'all. Think about it. Some of y'all have been living in your homes and you've built up your, your, your family estate and you've been, uh, you're kinda, you kind of been working hard on that. And then suddenly somebody or some people or some organization or something wants to come and just take all of it away. You think you're not going to bow up against those people? You think you're not going to stand up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. This ain't happening, y'all. That's the way I am. Why don't we do that for the kingdom? Why don't we do that for what Jesus did on the cross? Why is it that we compromise so easy sometimes? The doctrines of truth. Why is it that we shrink back when organizations or governments or people in general seem to want to tear us down and ridicule us and make us feel small because we think that Jesus is the Christ and we want everybody to know about it. Not that we think it, but we believe it. Why do we shrink back so easy sometimes? These people were willing to stay up all night. You want to know why? Because Nehemiah brought it to their attention that the way they were living with those walls destroyed like that, he brought it to their attention that it was a reproach. They were shameful. It was not honoring God for them to stay that way. And if we understand as the body of Christ, as the believers, as a congregation here in this building, as believers in our own home, 
as, a, as an individual Christian, if I understand that I've been saved by the blood of Christ because I'm a sinner and I deserve death, and I understand that Jesus said to go into the world and make disciples, go into the world and tell everybody what you believe, live it, don't say it, live it. It seems like I would stand firm and protect what I know to be true. The only, the, only, the only way I know to explain how intense that can be, if, if you've ever been a parent and someone comes up against your child, all bets are off. Does that make sense? That's why we have, that's why we have adults getting in fistfights at Little League ball games. It's not right, but that's why we do, that's why it happens. Make sense? Because somebody's threatening my child or somebody's not letting my child get what I want my child to have but on a spiritual level we have been given the gospel message we've been given charge of that we've been given responsibility to handle this in the world so that God would be glorified and that people would be saved just like we got saved it's a big responsibility but it comes with a lot of authority so somehow we got to figure out with God's help how to walk around with confidence in this truth, but yet stay humble about it. Right? Here's, here's how they did it. I'm going to let you read the rest of this chapter when you get home. They had a trowel in one hand, scooping mud, pick up a brick, and they had a sword in the other hand. So that when anybody comes along and tries to take the trial out of their hand, they can handle business. I don't mean fight people. I mean stand firm in what's true. Right? We're going to love people with one hand, and we're going to have the word of God in the other hand. And that's how we're going to be successful, y'all. God's going to be successful. The kingdom of God is going to have his way. The question for all of us is, are we going to participate? Are we going to be the believers that we read about in chapter 3? Or are we going to be Sam Ballot and this other guy, Tobiah? You remember them? Uh, you remember the Muppets? Them two old dudes up in the balcony criticizing everybody? Young people don't know what I'm talking about, but it, my age and older, y'all know what I'm talking about. They're like, hey, that's the worst acting I've ever seen. And they sit there and laugh. That's who these guys are. How did Nehemiah stay so confident and so committed? I'll tell you how. Because he knew God. And he knew the authority that God brings. He knew what he was doing. He had his mind set to the work. And he knew who to talk to to get it done. And he wasn't afraid to stand in the face of any person that would come against what God is doing. I don't think it's right to physically fight people over what we believe. I don't think that would honor God. There's a lot of ways that people challenge. There's mind games that get played. There's word games that get played. There's emotional games that get played trying to defeat us, trying to get us to be discouraged. The only way that you can fail God is if you choose to quit. If you choose to surrender to what Satan's trying to do. And he's just trying to stop God's work. We know that that's not possible. So what do we have to lose? I love y'all, and the Lord loves y'all, and I hope that we can together continue to stay faithful.
continue to build the kingdom of God. And I hope more people come into this building and join us and do what we're doing for the Lord, for His glory. People that need to be saved. But if, if none of that ever happens, as long as we stay faithful, we'll be successful. Right? Because we're not trying to, we don't make people get saved, we just give them the opportunity. That's the job. We're going to stand together and sing. If you're not saved, but why, why, why wait? I got it. We've got more trials. We've got another Bible. I'll give you a Bible. We'll work together. We'll make it happen. If you're not saved, that's today's day to do it. And uh, you don't have to know everything. You just need to be committed. You ready to sing? Come down here and, and let me know if you need to be saved. Let's stand together.